Okay, let's Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Brian Ohengisa, how are you doing today? What's the crack, Dean Machine? Um, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, a little tired this week. Uh, tired boy. After the weekend away, but it was a fun weekend. So um, mm. I'm not going to complain whatsoever. Uh, mm. How are you? I'm good. Sure, are you not going to explain what you were at at the weekend? I know, obviously, you were talking to to me in extensive detail about it there a moment ago, but we're yeah. now talking to a to an audience. Yes. So. Well, people may have seen it, but um, myself and Fiona and Gary and uh, Laura went over to London to visit Paddy and also Laura, and uh, just hang out there for a couple of days and ate some nice food and had some nice wandering around and went to the opera as well. Um, so Fancy yeah, boy. yeah, the it was fun. Um, met up with Alan Flanagan as well, Alinea Nutrition fame, um, uh, who we will have on the podcast at some point because I yes. cleared that with him on the on the night. So, um, yeah, that was the crack. That's the the brief crack because I have to keep it brief because we said we're going to be strict on time for this episode, so I can't spend mm. too long out and about um things that aren't as relevant to the episode mm. yeah 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 well, should we just jump straight in nutrition and recovery from injury um gonna, I suppose sorry I'm gonna, I'm gonna include uh surgery in that as well right because so sure. nutrition for recovery from injury slash surgery because the way I look at it is surgeries and injuries are basically the same thing. Just surgeries mm. are more often than not uh, intentional, but mm. same sort of physiology physiology uh, in a lot of ways. But continue. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're, we're going to be talking about the primary considerations with regards to what you can do your, with your nutrition here. The unfortunate truth about it is there's not a lot that you can do like in terms of like other goals that nutrition can assist you with that we have talked about extensively specifically related to health body composition and performance nutrition has an absolutely enormous role to play um and it, it still has a big role to play here obviously but it it generally you know when it comes to recovery from injury it's going to be more physiotherapy and rehabilitation related content that's probably going to make the big difference um however nutrition is obviously going to be very supportive of that process but i just want to make that point before we begin and of course if you're injured and you're looking for some good content in this realm then i would highly recommend that you follow our colleague luke murray luke underscore irish underscore physio on instagram we have had him on the podcast before and we'll probably have him on the podcast again um and of course gary as well but primarily Luke is your guy when it comes to a lot of this stuff around injury prevention and injury rehabilitation. Um, and of course, Luke is our resident physio as well. So if you did need some specific help with, with regards to this stuff, um, you can, you can, you can work with Luke as well, but I just wanted to make that point uh, before we jump into it. But um, yeah, have you any more starting points or do you just want to crack on? Yeah, I think um, just to frame the conversation again, I, I've been for whatever reason I've been talking to a lot of people about 
this process uh, lately. Mm. Part of the reason why we're talking about it, but uh, on the podcast, but um, but yeah, the first thing was to say, okay, surgeries, injuries, essentially the same thing. So all the same things will apply basically. Um, but I also want people to think about like injuries and surgeries and, and that kind of level of tissue damage is going to be, has have similar requirements for healing and recovery as what you do in exercise and training, right? Especially in say resistance training and lifting weights, right? You're creating tissue damage and then you need to recover from that. So a lot of the principles will be the same for those reasons because it's sort of similar you're still the principle of damaging the tissue is is constant across you know training sessions surgeries injuries now obviously the surgeries and injuries are on a much greater magnitude of damage than a training session but a lot of the same principles of nutrition will apply um which i think is useful to to consider when putting all this stuff into context right yeah yeah absolutely because i suppose when you actually look at, as you say, the the physiological changes that occur, um, you know things like the inflammatory response, um, and what nutrition does in terms of taking the body from one state of, as you say, tissue tissue damage, and the sort of the inflammatory cascade to a place where it is recovered, and you know from an injury perspective, you're going from right, I don't have full function in this particular area of my body or within my body to I have function, whereas things like performance and muscle building, you're going from I have full function, but I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to get more muscular, stronger, fitter, et cetera, et cetera. So you're absolutely correct. Um, and that is actually a really nice way of framing it in terms of like, you know, a lot of the things, there, there's there's a lot of commonalities with regards to this stuff. Um, so yeah, that's an important point. But yeah, so I suppose with regards to starting off um there is not there's not really a lot of research with regards to looking at athletes that have been injured right so i'm assuming like you know in a lot of these cases the, the people would be listening to this they might have sustained an injury in the gym or or you know going about their day-to-day -day stuff but it's typically in the gym or in sports is is generally where we see uh, some level of injuries occur you know in terms of level of severity from things like strains and sprains all the way up to like uh, breakages um, and like ACL injuries and stuff like that. But there's not a lot of research on it and we're, we're, we're lending more so from the research in people that, people that have been, as you say, in surgery situations, hospital situations and elderly populations. But we can still extrapolate a lot of those, um, the results from that research and from the, the researchers that have a, a good knowledge in those areas because as I say the physiology of it can be can be quite similar um but I suppose one of the big things with regards to problems that occur during injury is this whole thing of losing muscle mass and muscle function and strength and increasing fat gain so these are kind of the two primary concerns, especially for the sporting persons. They're they're losing muscle, they're losing strength, they're losing fitness, um, and they're losing their their adaptations that they have gained from exercise because they they may have to stop doing either particular movements or exercises within their programming, or they may have to stop exercising at all. If it's kind of like a you know, oftentimes if it's a 
a lower body injury, that's going to limit you a lot more um, depending on your sport. You know, if you're football or running or martial arts or whatever, like if you break your ankle, that's pretty limiting. <laughs> Whereas I feel like, you know, like it's it's funny the whenever one of my friends, he hurt his, he, he hurt his elbow quite badly, but uh, because he just loves jujitsu so much and he, he, he just can't not do it unless he's absolutely like, you know, a doctor basically tells him you can't do this. He was actually going around with his arm inside his rash guard and doing yeah. jujitsu at the same time, even though he had a fucked up elbow. Um, and uh, this is a complete tangent, but he was he was saying that in ways that can be kind of like beneficial because you learn to hone elements of your game with an injured limb. So then whenever you get the, the limb back to full function again, you've obviously gained those benefits. But anyway, that's not the, the context or the what we're talking about in this. Um but yeah that's the the sort of loss of adaptations and regression towards less muscle and more fat is kind of the primary issue that is that people are going to face with regards to um injury and thus kind of immobilization. Yeah, yeah. And it is problematic and I think it's uh, you know, obviously there's going to be various degrees of this, but like, you know, the extreme end would be, you know, you're bed bound basically and you can't move at all. Right. Um, in some cases you'd be going around maybe on a crutch or just with very limited um, movements or, you know, trying to keep your heart rate down, et cetera, et cetera, whatever the uh, nature of the injury is. And obviously depending on how far along you are in the recovery process. Um, but one thing that people, have a tendency to do or maybe to think about as like oh okay well i'm not able to exercise as much so i better you know cut way back on what i'm eating right um and it, you know that, that could probably make some sense as well because you're just after saying dean that you know we're concerned about uh say fat gain right so people you know and that, those kind of negative changes in body composition people are concerned about fat gain you know they want to don't want to just keep eating the same way and then gaining more body fat um, and ended up in a worse position. But um, we do need to talk about like energy requirements in the the context of an injury, because that thinking is not entirely logical. Um, you know, that will be, you know, say, say someone, okay. So let's say someone injures themselves and they say, cool, I'm going to, push myself into a calorie deficit here so I can, you know, lose some fat or at least, you know, well, yeah, basically lose some fat and like kind of be, you know, quote unquote productive during this, this process, which I think is something you'll see a lot, especially training populations. Um, you know, people are working on those kind of body composition goals. Like that's not going to be favorable for muscle retention from, from a muscle retention standpoint, you know, being in a calorie deficit without a training stimulus you know, that's kind of where you can see muscle loss occur more rapidly than than not, um, especially if protein intake is not ad adequate, which we'll talk about. Um, but I mean, from a, from a fat management standpoint, it kind of makes sense. But really, um, your calories and energy requirements when injured are going to be higher than if you were just inactive and not injured. All right. So the actual recovery process and the the healing process demands more energy 
and calories than normal, right? I'm just, you know, using calories and energy interchangeably there. Um, so I'm going to go through a, a worked example of this. Unless, Dean, you want to add anything before I go into that? No, fire away. Yeah. So basically, like, the idea here is, okay, we're going to keep calories at around maintenance is probably going to be best, right? Because... So basically, you know, you won't see you won't see fluctuations in body weight. Basically, is a, a good rule of thumb for that. And the reason you want to do that is that um, you're ensuring that you're giving yourself enough nutrients to recover optimally from the injury or the surgery, um, but you're not in a surplus of calories, right? So you're not gaining more body fat, but then you're also not in a deficit that's going to be sort of detrimental to muscle retention and, and lead to muscle atrophy where you don't have any sort of stimulus um, to rely on like a training stimulus. So obviously that's kind of, that varies depending on, on the nature of the injury. You know, as you said, Dean, if, if someone, you know, has a hurt wrist or elbow or something there, they can still probably go to the gym and do something or in your friend's case, still go and do jujitsu. Um, but in some cases you can't do anything, right? I have a client who recently got a nose job and has to be basically, sedentary right because she can't do anything that will get her heart rate up um anyway significantly because that gotta be poor for the recovery process even so she's basically confined at home they didn't they even said to her like don't really go out for walks or anything um don't be doing too much housework or anything because like too much bending down is, mm. is not good for the injured side right so just be careful of all that so she's basically quite sedentary so it's going to it's going to depend on on how sedentary someone is in this situation but basically like let's say let's go through an actual example of this so there's something called the stress factor of uh like energy requirements in these sort of situations so people may be familiar with um physical activity multipliers which you basically just apply to uh someone's Resting metabolic rate, I probably need to clarify some of these terms in case people aren't familiar. Resting metabolic rate is the amount of energy or calories you expend by just, if you're Dean, you're just lying in your bed all day, you're awake, but you're not doing anything, right? In that situation, you're at your basal metabolic rate or your resting metabolic rate, okay? We would take that number. Let's say it's 2,000 calories, right? Um, It's not going to be in, in, in your case, but let's say it is, right? Um. And then we say, okay, Dean, you're moderately active, right? So you're training multiple times per week. You've pretty decent step count. We'll use a physical physical activity multiplier of 1.4 to give you your total daily energy expenditure or TDEE. So that's just all the energy you burn in a day on average, you know, across the week. So if we multiply 2000 by 1.4, that's 2,800, which actually probably isn't far off your maintenance, right? Maybe I shouldn't have said that originally, that uh, your your RMR wasn't going to be as high as that. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so we have 2,800, right? So in, in this example, Dean, if you're having 2,800 calories a day, based on your activity levels, you'll maintain your weight, right? So energy in is the same as energy out. Then let's say you sprain your ankle, okay? And as a result, you can't do your same amount of activity. So let's say now you're... Uh, class is more sedentary, right? Because you're still, you're probably still going to go to the gym a bit, right? You're not going to let the sprained ankle stop you necessarily, but you're not going to be able to do as much in the gym. You're not going to be able to do jujitsu, I don't think. Is that fair? Yeah, I don't yes. know. Yes. I think you hurt your ankle recently as well, actually, didn't you? So, and you weren't 
doing jiu-jitsu. Well, it, it, it just meant that I had to um, modify what I was doing and I wasn't sparring. And then what what happened was I'd, I'd like, I'd be overconfident in terms of like how well healed my ankle was. And I'd spar somebody and I'd fuck it up again. I think I'd done that like two or three times. And the third, the second or third time that I'd done that, I was just like, no, I need to just like stop being a bollocks here and just let this recover. Yeah. So the sparring is obviously the most energy intensive part of your day at a jiu-jitsu training session, mm-hmm. right? Um, so less activity. So we said you sprained your ankle, your activity multiplier is now 1.2, which would bring you down to 2,400 calories as your requirement, right? So you're knocking that off. However, when we bring in the stress factor to this for something like a minor injury, like an ankle sprain, we can use 1.2 for that. So you're actually multiplying that again by 1.2. So um, that actually brings you back up to 2,800 calories approximately. So your actually energy requirements are virtually the same in this example, even though your activity is less. So that's just the important takeaway from this point that depend and like you know the, depending on the severity of the injury, like it can be up to 1.5 in terms of a, a stress factor that you need to consider. So just to make that point really clear, don't go on slashing calories and trying to re- like cut way back in your eating. Like I would still say, yeah, monitor what's going on. Like, so you can still track depending on how long you're going to be out of action, but you can still track your body weight and things. And you probably want to make sure you're not gaining weight at any appreciable rate, but you also want to make sure you're not losing weight at any appreciable rate um, mm. and, and trying to stay at maintenance. And that will actually give you the best chance of recovering as quickly as possible. Um, how was that for an explanation? Um, do you need to add anything? No. Um, uh, one thing that I would say is, although we're obviously concerned about like you know fat gain and stuff like that, I think if you put pu- if you push me into a corner, I would say I would preferentially like to see someone overdo it a little bit on their calories and gain a little bit of fat than underdo it and prolong their recovery. You know, because it's yeah. it's just it's the same thing with like being sick, sick and injury. You know, there there's some commonalities there. It's like sick and injured part of the process of that is moderating your training or or maybe not training at all so that you're maximizing the body's uh, capacity for recovery and we essentially want to get you out of the state of being sick and or, in, or, or injured um as quickly as possible because you know although fat gain is not ideal you know once you're out of the sort of once you're back to full function it's relatively easy to pull off a couple of pounds if that is something that has occurred, you know. So ideally, we would keep the calories at around that maintenance level to optimize things from recovery and not gain appreciable amounts of fat. But again, for me, when I'm working with clients, when it comes to illness and injury, my recommendations are always directed towards let's get you out of this situation that you are in as fast as possible. Now, that does not mean that we jump the gun necessarily and start doing things when our body's not ready for it. But, you know, we want to make sure that we're doing everything within our power to speed up this process because it's shit. Nobody likes being sick or injured. And and we probably won't we won't talk about this today because we could fucking talk about this all day. Um, But this, there's a psychological, a major psychological component um, to being injured. And, you know, if we can reduce that time 
through our nutritional practices, specifically with regards to energy, but also the stuff that we're going to talk about in further detail in a moment, then that's nothing but a good thing. Yeah, 100%. Um, okay, we move on to macronutrient considerations or where do you want to go to yeah. next? Yeah, yeah, sure. We can talk about protein next. I suppose, you know, calories sorted out. Um, that's kind of the, you know, the level that you're supposed to be working within, as, as Brian said, within within those uh, recommendations. So the next thing is protein intake. Um, and protein intake is very important because it is going to have a dual function here in that it is going to give the body the resources to bring the damaged tissue to a place where it's back to full function. And also it is going to conserve muscle mass, right? So as I say, if you are not doing activity, if you are immobilized in some capacity with the worst case being bed rest, um, you can lose muscle quite fast. Um, and definitely beyond a week of reduced activity um, limited muscle stimulation, even from a resistance training or general sporting perspective, but even from a perspective of like doing less steps, we do see start to see reductions um, in muscle mass. And if you combine that with shitty protein intake, it's just going to make the whole thing a lot worse. Um, because one thing that occurs is, and again, this is lending from the research that's being done on elderly populations, but when you are not using your, your, your muscles, um, something called anabolic resistance occurs. And this is just basically the muscle cell is not as good at uptaking amino acids, which is basically protein, and integrating new muscle proteins, right? So essentially, with regards to like building and losing muscle and tissues in the body in general, what happens is you're having this constant uh, building of new muscle proteins or building of new proteins and breakdown. So it's just this process of building up and breaking down, building up and breaking down. That's basically how our bodies work um, when it comes to these functions. Um, but whenever you're in bed rest or you're immobilized or a particular maybe limb is immobilized, there's a much greater chance that your body will not be as good at uptaking amino acids. Because if you think of like, right, when whenever, and again, this is the sort of the, commonality with normal training to, to build performance and muscle is when you train essentially what you're doing is you're sending a signal to the muscle to say right there's there's a challenge that has been created here so now you need to become more accommodating to these amino acids and build yourself up so that whenever we meet that challenge in the future we're better able to um better able to handle that and that's basically why our bodies adapt and we're highly adaptable creatures you know but equally it's it's the opposite then whenever you stop doing things that force your body to to adapt then you'll get maladaptation or you'll get a reduction and change the, the other direction right um so this is why keeping your protein intake nice and high is very very key um and a component of this is also <clears throat> reduced insulin sensitivity but that's kind of links in with uh anabolism basically because insulin is an anabolic hormone um and exercise makes you more uh insulin sen uh, your insulin sensitivity goes up right um so again lending from the research on the elderly population we if anabolic resistance is occurring we do want to make sure that protein intake is high so 
definitely above 1.6 grams per kg, but I would probably in this instance probably shoot that more towards the two grams per kg, just as an insurance policy. In some cases, it might not make a difference, but in some cases it could make a difference, right? So I think it's better to err on the side of caution and keep your protein intake nice and high. Of course, we want these, uh, the, the, the protein that you're consuming to be of high quality. We've talked about this at length in many other podcasts, but just very quickly, animal-based proteins are going to be much better because they have a complete amino acid profile, um, dairy, meat, fish, eggs. But then, of course, if you're a vegan or vegetarian, you have other good sources where you can combine proteins together, uh, rice and beans. Um, and, you know, you can obviously get like complete proteins within that sort of uh, plant protein space as well. Your your corn products, your your soy and your your vegan blends and stuff like that, they will all provide a complete amino acid profile as well. But not to labor on that point too much. You want to be getting most of your proteins and your servings of protein to be at that caliber. Um, and again, lending from the anabolic resistance, uh, the, the research done on elderly population within anabolic resistance, although it would be kind of, you, you would generally recommend 20 to 25 grams of protein per serving if you're having a meal. Um, in this case, I would probably shoot towards 30 to 40 grams just to basically make sure that we're, that we're hitting that higher echelons, the higher echelon of um, protein intake and thus increases in, in improvements in muscle protein synthesis. Um, and obviously within this context, the recovery from injury should be better as well. Um, and again, like even if there's, even if there's a case of like, right, this extra protein doesn't really improve recovery. If we were able to somehow quantify that, um, it's, it's not as if it has any major downsides, you know, unless of course, like you're eating so much protein that you're in a calorie surplus, you know, but again, I think these are kind of scenarios that are unlikely to happen. And I would rather maybe slightly overdo it in the same way that we talked about slightly overdoing the fat gain um, than underdoing it. So definitely underdoing it with protein is a big no-no. We, we definitely want to try and make sure that you're um, that you're getting sufficient amounts there. So that's kind of the, the general lowdown in terms of um, what, what we're trying to do with protein. Um, it's basically just to make sure that you're, you've got enough resources, um, i.e. amino acids, necessary for the body to be able to bring them in to recover the damaged tissue um, and also we're, we're, we're utilizing this to reduce losses in muscle tissue because as I say a lot of people are going to be sporting of the sporting population and nobody wants to lose muscle and nobody wants to lose strength and fitness and all that jazz so yeah very good and then a mistake people might make in that context is like well, I'm not training now, so I don't have to eat as much protein. Mm. Yeah. Which is a problem, right? And it's the same sort of uh, problem that arises with just eating less calories overall. Well, I'm not training now, um, so I, I won't eat as much. And I'm not training now, so I don't eat as much protein. And like, again, that is true if you take that injury out of the equation, right? So, you know, if you said to me, Dean, all right, I'm just not going to exercise anymore. I'm not going to lift weights, not going to do jujitsu. I'm just done with all that stuff. All right. Yeah, yeah. Your protein requirements are less. Okay. But you injured is not in the same situation as you just giving up exercise when you're fully healthy. Right. So again, think about the, the way I framed at the start, like, yeah, you may not be able to train at the moment or you're limited to some degree, but you can think about it. Like your injury or your surgery is like, you've done some insane workout and just created so much muscle damage and tissue damage 
and there is still a large requirement for amino acids to help you recover from that okay so it's not in the format that you're used to and it's not the way you want it to happen but there's still a ton of tissue damage that needs repairing so you need to make sure your protein intake is sufficient um you know we talked about kind of the the gram quantities there i think we, we talked about um we we linked that video to the different rules that bonded me in the the how to move away from tracking video wasn't it um but you know let's say for me as like my protein requirements at two grams per kilo is about 190 which is the equivalent of like six large chicken fillets in the day right just to give someone a food example and um that would be a similar like gram amount to like you know any sort of meat or fish um yeah so it's it's quite a lot right and you have to make sure you're getting a, a decent portion at every meal um because you're just gonna slow the recovery process if you don't mm. um but yeah that's that's a good rundown on protein still very important arguably more important um in this context that you're more injured and more hurt and uh don't actually have a training stimulus and maybe in some cases you don't have a training stimulus in some cases you do um but yeah like to just kind of drive the point home about the atrophy it's like if you've ever seen someone who like broke their arm and they're in a cast for six weeks like when you see that arm after it comes out of the cast you know it's significantly smaller than it was or versus the other arm right which shows you um the effects of immobilization and atrophy and it's a very much a use it or lose it situation because muscle tissue is uh metabolically expensive let's say so if your body sees or senses that you don't really have a need for it then it doesn't want to waste a lot of resources on maintaining it unless you actually provide those resources so it doesn't feel like they're in scarce supply um we'll move on to say carbohydrates then in this context don't have as much of a, a role to play in like the healing process um obviously they'll provide energy right so they're important from from that point of view and providing calories um but carbohydrates can have sort of a, a muscle sparing effect so they you know they can be indirectly useful in this context um to help maintain muscle mass so you know again you could run into like a logical fallacy of oh well i'm not exercising now so i'll just cut my carb intake way back which again may not be advisable probably do want to focus on the quality of the carbohydrates for sure right and and putting even maybe more emphasis on these in terms of you know slower digesting carbohydrates and potatoes and pulses and fruit and veg and whole grain pastas and breads and things like that uh, brown rice that sort of stuff um you know maybe focus a bit more on the quality of the carbohydrates but uh you know definitely no need to to cut them back all together because like i said they will you know you have to get your calories from somewhere they will help you do that um and then there's a, a muscle sparing effect to be had as well um not really much else to say on carbohydrates dean unless you have something to add no um and then yeah so one of the well we, we can talk about uh, i suppose fat uh sources but then this just under this heading of diet quality um you are trying to manage inflammation to a large extent right so uh you will experience a large inflammatory response immediately post injury um 
and you actually want that. That's actually a good thing because that'll actually kickstart the, the healing process and the recovery process. Um, but beyond that, you do want to, you know, attenuate the inflammation if you can, and that will actually help the recovery um, over the course of, you know, weeks uh, post injury. And so things we can do, there are things we can do in the diet to uh, modify the inflammatory response and, and sort of make sure that that's in a good place. You know, I've, I've given some short lip service to quality of carbohydrate choices, but Dean, do you want to talk to us about um, maybe the diet quality overall, or maybe you discuss the fats, which is very much linked to this subject anyway. Mm, mm, Yeah. So generally same as our recommendation for general health, we do want to try and keep saturated fat lower. You don't need to have zero saturated fat, which would be incredibly challenging to do anyway. Um, but typically, if you look at your your fat breakdown, um, the the three primary sources of fats, saturated, monounsaturated, and polyunsaturated, you generally want less than ten percent of those to be saturated ideally, um, because typically speaking, the saturated fats um, tend to be more inflammatory, whereas the um, mono and polyunsaturated fat fats, should I say particularly omega-3 fatty acids coming from fish oils tend to have anti-inflammatory properties. Um, and this is the reason that we consider them to be health-promoting um, in many ways. Um, contrary to what you might see, which is just, you know, online, it's, uh, it's part of the reason why nutrition is just so crazy. It's like we have just one camp of people that's literally saying the exact opposite to what another camp of people is saying. But anyway, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. That's that's actually one for whenever we get Alan on. Um, or maybe he doesn't want to talk about that at this stage. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we want to try and keep the 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 quality of those fats to be to be higher. So again, you're you're trying to watch out for a lot of ultra-processed foods that are high in saturated fat, the the very pr- highly processed meats um, and the fatty cuts of meat um you know your bacon and your sausages and your white pudding and uh, fatty steaks and you know so some other sources like uh, coconut oil and um, butter etc cream you know these are these are sources of fat that are particularly high in saturated fat whereas if we can move you towards more things more so in the realms of nuts seeds avocados extra virgin olive oil um other sources of vegetable oils rapeseed oil um avocado oil um these are generally going to be better sources because they're going to be higher in these monounsaturated fats and polyunsaturated fats um and of course oily fish as well you know if we can get you if you can get if we can get you eating more oily fish from like salmon, sardines, uh, mackerel, herring, etc., uh, you're going to be getting those healthy omega three fats. Um, and we'll we'll mention that. Well, I'll mention it here because we're going to talk about supplements in a moment anyway. But again, if you're not eating those types of foods, uh, you do want to be supplementing with omega threes just to be getting those healthy fats in. So again, in summary, watch out for the sat saturated fats. Try and keep them lower and preferentially move towards the healthier um, fats coming primarily from plant sources, but also uh, marine sources. And also, if you're a vegan, um, you can get an algae-based uh, omega-3 
supplement to cover your bases there as well. So that will generally keep the day quality um, from a fat perspective higher and modulate that inflammatory response. And, that, and that's, that's an important word that we're using here, modulate, because we're not trying to smash inflammation to the ground you know, which which you can actually do with loads of antioxidants. You can get like antioxidant, high antioxidant uh, supplements and like just destroy, like just basically mash it into the ground. And we don't want to do that because as Brian said, the inflammation process um is is it's it's important basically before the remodeling occurs um within the tissues to so that we can get them back to full function. So essentially by including these foods that are going to modulate inflammation. Um, it'll just keep it at a level that is basically healthy in a sense. And it's at a place where we want it. So it's not completely out of control, um, but it's also, you're not just pushing it to the ground um, with regards to, you know, heavy supplementation or through the use of like anti-inflammatory drugs and stuff like that. So, Yeah. And then just to, as like an add on to the diet quality piece, as always, high intakes of fruits and vegetables, very important um what fruit and vegetables <laughs> you like fruit and vegetables that is a shocker yeah and i like what they can do for us <laughs> so like i always think this is interesting in, in the context of like excellent nutrition it often looks the same no matter what outcome you're trying to uh, achieve well sorry no, the outcome is basically always the same isn't it? it's always like optimal health but and and performance but then in terms of what the input is can be different like you know do you have higher risk of heart disease or do you have higher risk of uh are you are you trying to like reduce your risk of cancer from nutrition interventions or are you injured in this context like a lot of the times the, the dietary template looks very similar um with some tweaking and that's something i always talk about like i just think it's quite interesting um and quite handy because then you know, you can just focus on basically the one sort of dietary template like we're talking about here and like we're always talking about and uh, actually get what you need. So, yeah, plenty of fruits and vegetables. Um, they'll provide, you know, antioxidants, as Dean was talking about there. Um, but, you know, you're, you're not at any risk of overdoing it from, uh, you know, food sources or right? it's only ever in, in supplementation trials that you see the antioxidants have a having a negative effect. So, as per usual, it's plenty of protein, plenty of healthy fats, uh, plenty of quality carbohydrates and plenty of fruit and vegetables, which, you know, technically are quality carbohydrates. And that is what the, the diet is going to look like in this case. Um, because, and then, the you know, the the foods as well will contain, you know, important vitamins and and things for that actually help the healing process. So I um, suppose we'll talk about those now when we're getting into and supplementation right because like some of this stuff we'll talk about in supplementation like you could in theory just get it from food like we're going to talk about vitamin c because that's important uh, for collagen synthesis which is important for you know, tissue remodeling and healing basically um but you know if you're eating a decent amount of fruit and veg you know you're probably consuming enough vitamin c now vitamin c is quite a cheap and easily accessible supplement so um it's probably no harm to supplement it anyway um, but you know, things like, yeah, if you're basically if you're eating fruits and vegetables, you're going to be consuming enough vitamin C for the most part. Um, and you know, the same is true for nutrients like, uh, you know, calcium, which I think people can intuitively 
know is, is important for say bone healing you know so if you have like a fracture or something that's definitely going to be important would you necessarily need to supplement with that specifically um possibly and possibly not right it depends on your diet and, and whether you're consuming a lot of calcium rich foods um i did do an ultimate guide recently on calcium um if anyone wants uh, the link to that they can ask us but basically just showing you how to go about eating enough calcium on a daily basis right so um that would be helpful um but some of these you know like the omega-3s like dean you were talking about you know if, if the person's not eating oily fish then you need to supplement with the omega-3s um and then for other nutrients uh you may have to look at supplementation because probably not going to consume enough of them through the diet things like vitamin d um, which is important in kind of the uh, kind of again the, in the inflammatory side of things the immunomodulation uh has roles to play in, in pain management as well i think um you know you need to, you'll need to supplement that and you should be doing that anywhere right so this is not like again this is not specific to this injury context this is like the baseline healthy diet that looks pretty much the same in all situations um it's just a part of that and a regular part of that um yeah do you want to do you want to jump in and, and talk to us about some of the other supplements yeah so again this is kind of why i like at the start of the podcast i was saying there's not like a bunch of stuff that we can do here it's it's, it's relatively limited and some of it is still speculative in terms of like the benefit that may be um there so as i said the, the the we've talked about kind of like the vitamin c vitamin vitamin d is obviously important um just from a general health perspective which is obviously you know vitamin d has a variety of roles um within within the body but even for like say for example you have a bone related injury vitamin d is, is an important vitamin d in combination with calcium is very important for one's bone health but again vitamin d has a variety of roles in the body and it is going to factor in to this recovery process overall it's even with regards to things like there may be some level of a uh, function within maintaining maintenance of muscle mass and stuff like that as well um but again some of these things are are, are not we're getting into kind of like the smaller rocks here whereas we obviously like the calorie intake and protein and, and all that jazz is is kind of like the big rocks and um, three, as i said I've, dis I've discussed that higher quality fish oil supplement or, or algae based omega-3 is, is ideal um we generally recommend about 14 grams per week um as as of combined epa dha um as a general recommendation um but obviously if you're eating fish that is less um and creatine then is another one because there might be some beneficial effects even if you are immobilized and not using the muscle um, there might be some muscle preservation effects that occur by keeping creatine stores topped up um, due to anabolic, anabolic signaling uh, that occurs through creatine supplementation. So again, like, creatine is so fucking cheap. It's so effective. It used to be cheap. It's not. It's gotten a bit more expensive now, to be fair. Yeah, well, I suppose that, that's across the board with, with, with many supplements, but, you know, in terms of the cost benefit ratio is still very strong and you know there's no no major downsides um to using it so you know again yeah. you might as well have as many feathers in your cap as possible but in this regard um collagen yeah, then and vitamin c sorry go on and the, the body first nutrition creo is is still competitively priced uh, mm. as much as much as any 
product that I've seen. So there's a, a plug for there you go. The the man Resha. Um yes, we were saying, and then collagen, we've we've touched on typically this this is one of those supplements that again might have a benefit for like soft tissue damage and stuff like that um in terms of collagen synthesis because your collagen proteins like you can get it from things like uh, making up like bone broths and stuff like that um but generally speaking a collagen supplement in combination with with vitamin c which they you, you can usually i think bulk powders i think their collagen supplement has vitamin c in it I, i'm not 100 percent sure on that okay. but I'd, I'd say if you if you checked on that you can get it um but typically around like say 15 to 20 grams of um collagen you, you might find like different types of collagen um type one type two etc um but essentially what we're what, all we're trying to do here is we're trying to get higher amounts of specific amino acids that are higher in collagen so uh, specifically um proline hydroxyproline and um i forgot the third one do you know the third one glycine sorry yes um because that's going to be higher in, in in those collagen proteins but again you know this is kind of very much getting into the the small rocks and you know your overall protein intake is much more important in this context but if you have some expendable income and you want to potentially get these couple of percentage improvements it's it's worth doing um nitrates then is an interesting one because again more so speculative but probably has no major downside so it could be useful so essentially what you're, what you're trying to do there with nitrate supplementation is nitrates will dilate your blood vessels and then theoretically speaking this may provide a better platform for nutrient delivery to the damaged tissues um, and again you know you can you can do this through like eating beetroot and rocket leaves and spinach um on some of these higher nitrate vegetables but equally you can also like drink beetroot juice um or get the little beetroot shots and stuff like that and of course you know there are other um supplements that act as vasodilators like citrulline l-arginine etc um but again nitrates nitrate rich foods kind of hit two birds with one stone because you're going to be getting benefits from as brian said eating more vegetables the polyphenolic compounds um, and their antioxidant anti-inflammatory effect that can occur um, and that can be a useful one to look into as well and then of course we briefly talked about calcium so again if you have a bone related injury if you're not intentionally making sure that you're consuming calcium rich foods uh, refer back to brain's ultimate guide on calcium um, then it could be a good idea maybe to uh, either get a multivitamin that has calcium in it or to supplement with like a vitamin D calcium combo or something like that as well. Um, so those are the primary ones that come to mind with regards to supplementation. You um, also like to recommend uh, curcumin as well. Yeah, I won't, I won't always like, I think it's, I think it's reliable in terms of its anti-inflammatory effects. So people mm. want to know about anti-inflammatory supplements, then a curcumin, uh can be a good option but it's it's kind of a it's an easy supplement to end up with a crap one basically yeah um uh, like a lot of places are selling turmeric you know and it's like yeah it contains curcumin but you're not getting near the sort of required dose that's actually going to have a, an effect curcumin supplements are definitely one of the more expensive supplements out there so 
you know, it's again a cost benefit analysis. Um, if someone's happy to pay the money for them, they may help, but I don't recommend them, you know, to everybody in this context, um, for those reasons. Uh, but yeah, you have to get a decent one like uh like the Mariva curcumin or uh, you know, curcumin that's um combined with bioperine because the absorption of curcumin tends to be quite poor and like you know you can consume you know significant amounts of it if you were to use a lot of turmeric in cooking right um so like making up a lot of curries with uh you know lots of vegetables and and chicken or corn or something could be you know a really solid meal for you to have um just for overall health but then trying to recover from injury um but yeah no cur- curcumin uh as an anti-inflammatory is good. I was seeing it's raining now and I'm washing on the way. Ah, man. There's no rain forecast today or yesterday and the same thing happened. Um, man, see, since I've moved up here, it doesn't fucking rain in Dublin. Like, it is wild. Yeah. It's, and I've been saying this to loads of people, like, because I've obviously, like, spent the vast majority of my existence in Monaghan and it is, you know, very, very wet and, and rainy in, in there and, you know, it's it's because I because I I'm outside and run to jujitsu very often, so a plenty of opportunity to get caught in the rain, and I never am. So yeah, um, what was I going to add to that? Uh, yeah, but just on the, the the nitrates and the vasodilators, like the arginine or the citrulline, um, there is there is research on arginine and in, in uh, injury recovery. Um, no, I couldn't find any when I was looking at this before on citrulline, but they work pretty much the same way. So uh, you can you can nearly assume that citrulline malate will work um, taken a few times a day in this context. And that will help with blood flow and nutrient delivery. And some of these sites of injury can have quite a poor, a poor blood supply. So say the, the tendons and connective tissue have quite a poor blood supply, which is one of the reasons they're quite slow to heal. Um, but this is something that can be helpful. But yeah, that's basically everything, uh, Dean. I don't think I have anything else to add and i do want to go grab the washing so uh i'm gonna let you wrap this up unless we have anything else to discuss no well i'm just gonna very briefly just say sleep is very important for we have a sleep podcast um so sleep comes into this picture of recovery but no you go get your washing and i'll wrap up uh the podcast um so yes guys um that is the primary points that uh you want to consider with regards to your nutrition and recovery from injury um as i say focusing on those big rocks specifically with calorie intake protein intake diet quality through being more intentional with your fats and also making sure that you're getting lots of plants in the diet fruits and vegetables um healthy carbohydrates high fiber foods etc and then you can kind of fill the rest in with um, some of those supplements. But again, you know, if you don't have the expendable income to, to drop on some of the more expensive supplements, it's probably not going to make a, an enormous amount of difference. Um, I do think things like vitamin D, um, omega-3 and creatine have a good cost-benefit ratio, so I would definitely recommend them. But again, if you want to sort of implement some of these other ones, uh, they may have a benefit, but it's not 100% necessary when you have the big rocks covered. Um, so yeah, that is the kind of the whole crack for this episode. Um, 
as always, we have coaching spaces available. So if you found this podcast to be useful, if you find our content to be useful in any capacity and you'd like specific health, help should i say um for health related goals and um, for even within these the context of injury um as we've been talking about here but also for things like fat loss muscle gain sports performance digestive issues hormonal considerations um, and developing healthier relationships with food or, or working on disordered patterns of eating these are all things that we can help you with um and as of course i mentioned at the start of the podcast we have our physio team as well um so Mr. Luke Murray, if you're if you're looking for a good physio, um, he's also a good man to get on. Um, so we have, as I say, three primary elements of the coaching business. We have myself and Brian who will work specifically with just your nutrition and lifestyle. Uh, we have the other team members who will do nutrition and training, and then of course we have Luke and Gary, which will help you with nutrition, training, and rehabilitation considerations. Which I'm sure, if you're listening to this, potentially that could be um something that'll float your boat. Um. As always, if you like the podcast, please do share it around, follow us on Spotify or rate the podcast in some capacity, whatever app that you may be using, because it's super helpful for us. And we do obviously put a lot of time and effort into um, producing these. Um, of course, we find them to be very, very helpful. Um, or people, should I say, find them very, very helpful. We get a lot of good feedback on the podcast. Um, but of course, spreading the good information that we produce is is um, very, really important to us because as we were kind of saying before the podcast, uh, there's, there's, a, there's other podcasts out there that are platforming people that are just fucking bullshit merchants. And these are really, really big podcasts. And it is kind of, it's harder for us as a smaller podcast to, to get our information out there. Um, obviously, we don't have the same resources as some of these bigger podcasts. So again, be one of the best ways for you to help us if you enjoy our, our stuff is to share it around. Share it on your Instagram story. Share it to people that you feel might, might find the information useful. Um, talk to people about it um, when you can. Um, and we really appreciate it. So um, yeah, that's the whole shebang. Anything else you want to add before we go, Brian? No, I am back. I got the few bits of laundry, but um, yeah, no, if, if, if you're listening to this right now and you found that episode helpful and you're not, if you haven't rated us on Spotify and you aren't following us on Spotify, just go do it now. Cause it was like last week or something or two weeks ago, I realized I hadn't rated us on Spotify. So if I hadn't rated us, you are Spotify, pathetic. <laughs> if I hadn't done it, most of you listening probably haven't done it either. So go do it now. Um, it's it's intuitive enough. I can't remember the actual steps, but it's it's intuitive enough, you know. Yeah. Just give it give it five stars. Um, as Dean said, it really helps. And yeah, if you need help with any of this stuff, uh, you know the gist with the coaching. Yes, sir. Guys, thank you for listening. We'll catch you in the next one. Peace.